0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. So, spring is here. It's right around the corner. And you know you need to freshen up your spring attire and what better place to do it? There is no better place to do it than Mercury Mile dot com just three easy steps go to mercurymile.com enter your sizes and preferences and then they'll send you out a box of curated goodies ready for you in the spring it's great all the snow here in rhode island has melted i need my new running gear because my winter gear was tight the winter gear held it down mercury mile kept me warm and i am excited to start getting some new racing gear in some new shorts some new shirts and they're gonna have it there for you and here's the best part you get your box, you keep what you love, you send back what you don't, and it's easy as that. You just put it right back in the envelope. So go to MercuryMile.com and use ramblingrunner 10 at checkout to save $10 on your $20 stylus fee. So today's episode is with Chris Chavez. I could not wait to get Chris on the show. He is everywhere in the running community. This guy is writing for Sports Illustrated. He co-created Sidious Mag, which is just an enormous website that's just doing amazing things the past three years in the running community. He is the host of the Sidious Mag podcast. He's the co-host of the Runners in New York City podcast, which is a great one. It flies under the radar a little bit. If you're not from New York, maybe you wouldn't gravitate towards it, but you should. It's really, really good. While they are New York heavy, you know, just like this episode, you know, the, the, the key elements just they they touch on all runners out there and it's really good shoot they had malcolm gladwell on of all people that's like a dream guest for me he had him on like really early and they're just doing great work all the way around and i could not get him on here because of that and because of his running this guy just ran 316 at tokyo to set a huge marathon pr he is now a six star finisher he has run all six Abbott world marathon majors This guy is just doing amazing things, and I could not wait to get him here on the podcast. So, here's my episode with Chris Chavez. Hello, Chris, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this.
0: I'm excited to have you on, man. I am, first of all, a big fan of Sidious Mag. But I got to be honest too. I knew you before before the Sidious Mag days. I knew just Chris Chavez, the writer for SI. I'm a big hoops head, and you've been doing like the the flash updates and all that. So I'm a huge fan, and uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about that in Tokyo.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been it's been quite the journey, I would say, with with sports writing. I mean, I've I'm still fairly young. I would uh, I think I'm only 25 years old. Um, and I've been covering track, I guess, since 2012 when I was with track And I've been with uh, uh, Sports Illustrator now almost four years, uh, four years in June, which is crazy just how quick time flies. But, um, yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And then, as always, like, I'm excited to continue to grow uh, Sidious Mag over the next uh, couple years. And, uh, yeah, no, thanks. I appreciate that.
0: Man, you got, a lot of, you got a lot of things going on. That's for sure. And every one of these... In, in its own right, is a big-time job that takes a lot of time. The fact that you're trying to do the SI, you do Insidious Mag, and you're pursuing, you know, you know, kind of for, you know, it's, and everything is relative, but, like, high-level running goals as well, you know, like, this has just been, it's been, like, an absolutely whirlwind
1: year. I wish I could sleep a little bit more, but... Um... <laughs> You got to really, you know, pick and choose your battles from time to time. And I'll make sacrifices every now and then uh, for what I consider a little bit more important at the time. And so, um, yeah, no, I pretty much the way it breaks down is my day to day job is with Sports Illustrated. So uh, I'm the breaking news uh, editor for uh, the SI Wire team, which handles just kind of like we react to anything that's going on. Uh, throughout the day and so it's very exciting to walk into work on most days and not exactly know uh, what the big story could be but you know right now I guess it is March in the middle of March we're getting ready for the NCAA tournament kind of preparing for that um, and game planning so pretty much I'm like the quarterback on on a team of like uh, nine to ten writers I believe we have um, and it's 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 cool because you know a lot of the writers are fairly young as well and so um yeah, we, we learn as we, as, as we go along and it's a lot of, you know, very fast paced writing. So a lot of short reps for uh, that, that will hopefully uh, help people develop as, as writers when it comes to the longer stuff. And so at the same time, like in addition to all the breaking news stuff, I am like uh, one of the reporters on track and field and, and the Olympics. And so that's you know, going to be crazy within the next 12 months, almost when you know we're starting starting to come up on Olympic trials and and Team USA starts to really figure itself out across all sports. But for me, the primary focus is track and field and the marathon. And yeah, we are less than a year away from the marathon trials, so um, I'm super excited about that and. And then Sidious Mag is just kind of like a passion project that started in February of 2017. And, you know, it was me teaming up with a couple friends of mine uh, to create a space where we can, you know, make some, create a bunch of different type of running content where it was more commentary, humor, and somewhat analytical as well. So um, just, you know, really keeping myself busy. And then from there I got into podcasting as well. And so I host, you know, the Sidious Mag podcast, which, runs weekly although like the next last couple weeks I haven't put out any episode because I was so focused on uh running in Tokyo um and you know the, you know we've got a couple other podcasts on there as well so building a little bit of a network and so yeah really I guess like they, I do spread myself out quite a bit um but it's it's a lot of fun I, I think that's the main uh, the main thing is that I'm having fun doing all of this and at the same time like after all of that after being in front of a you know, computer for most of the day, I need that time away from, you know, from a screen. And so I do love partaking in my own running and chasing some goals. You know, the times might not be anything impressive, but uh, for me, it's more about just going through the same exact motions and learn and experiencing the sport. That I'm covering. And so I think that also helps make it a little bit more relatable when I when I do have conversations with professional runners or college runners uh, or even high school runners. It's, I, I understand what it's like to chase personal bests and to, you know, be go after some of these lofty goals and come up short sometimes and have those disappointing performances and also experience the highs. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much I'm, I'm in a regular routine of wake up, go to work, go for a run go home, do some more work, go to sleep, and just repeat. But I I wouldn't trade it in for anything.
0: I know. You're like the rare person who has a side project, despite the fact that they're passionate about their current position. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people will have have a side project. And and if my boss is listening, I'm not one of them, boss, Um, has like a side project (laughs) that they love and it's like an outlet for them because maybe they don't, you know, they're, they're not living their passion, but you kind of, you got both going on, which is really interesting. And, and you just mentioned like the relatability factor, but in a different context. And I love the relatability that Sidious Mag and what you're able to do is, you know, just from a running community standpoint. Now it's not like Magoo pieces about the top runners. Like, Hey, look how this person can be relatable to you. Cause you know, she also wakes up in the morning. It's like, you, know, you guys take a fun approach to a lot of things, but it's also, you know, you guys, as you mentioned, like you'll be analytical as well. So when you're balancing, you know, the coverage you're doing for Sidious Mag, whether it's from a writing perspective or from a podcast perspective, how do you approach these subjects in terms of making sure that you kind of have both sides of like, hey, this is, ser- this is content that high level runners would want to engage with, but at the same time, not taking ourselves too seriously while we're doing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a very good point. And so the way I kind of balance it is I think the agreement that I came upon when I started Sidious and like it started to become, I think, more of a thing than I expected it to be and more of a time commitment than I expected it to be. And I was talking to, I guess, my bosses at Sports Illustrated was that anything that I report originally and like if I get some sort of breaking news or if I'm working on a longer feature, say, on someone like Des Linden or Shalane Flanagan, all that. Uh, that I, that I'm going to write is definitely going to be found on Sports Illustrated and with my byline there. Um, but for the most part, I think what City has, has become is kind of like the voice to some more of those those common runners and and the people who uh, are not you know the household names just yet within the sport. Um, and it's you know I, I'm just kind of thinking of some of the profiles that have been done not by myself but but from some of the other writers on on the staff and. I think what you find is, that, you know, it's the people who hold full-time jobs and are making a run for the Olympic trials, or it's, you know, someone who is totally unsponsored. And if, you know, Sidious, if getting the story out on Sidious is a way of pushing out their story to uh, potentially attract some sort of sponsor, then that, you know, that's, I feel like the website is doing a good service there as well. Um, so really, I mean, it's kind of wide ranging and very flexible and open as to what we can do on the site. And it really blew me away when we got started. Um, It was about a team of four or five writers. It was myself, Stephen Kirsch, Ryan Sterner, Scott Olberding, uh, Gene Mack, and Paul Snyder. And we just came out with like a ton of content out of the gates. And we kind of burned ourselves out by the time like June uh, or, or probably like September rolled around. Because, I mean, we came out hot out of the gates, and now it's kind of like we're a little bit more innovative in terms of, like, how much we're going to do. And for me, I think podcasting is the avenue that I've really taken it. Some of the other guys have really gotten into photography and doing photo essays. Um, so, you know, we're still finding our voice with that site, and we're still developing. And it's incredible. I guess we're going on year three now. Um
0: is and that right? It, it yeah. feels like it's been like eighteen months, but I'm, I'm sure you're right. But it feels like it's been such like a it's like been such a whirlwind, that right? It's like, it, it doesn't feel like it's been three years. It, well, yeah, I guess I like just turned three uh, wow, in February, awesome.
1: and yeah, it's it's totally exciting. And it's kind of like it hit me at some point last year. When I think I came up on a hundred episodes of the podcast, and I was like, "Whoa, that's that's quite a bit." And you know, I was like, "Well, you know what? That was a hundred in almost two years." I was like, "Maybe I want to do a hundred in one year." And it's <laughs> that's a lot, but you know, <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying it, and, I'm, and it's definitely a new way of pushing out stories. And and I really, uh, and, and at the same time, like I guess I'll be upfront with it. Like I produce uh you know the podcast i record it and and like i'm book- the one who's booking the guests so like that's you know more time that goes into it and so when we're kind of like when i take a step back and i just realize how much we're putting into this passion project uh and how much people are enjoying it then it's like that's what kind of makes it worth it like you know the money isn't really a thing because for a lot of us we hold full-time jobs outside of doing this silly website um but you know, down the road, maybe we'd we'd love to explore more ways of of monetizing things. But the reason why I continue to do it is because people are enjoying it, and so as long as people are reading and people are listening, you know, it's going to continue to be a thing.
0: Right. And while it is a passion project, because you're producing content that is going to be consumed by other people, their feedback or you know, just like their their clicks or their downloads, any kind of feedback you can get obviously is is important to you because you know, you wouldn't be doing it for a long period of time, investing all this time and energy if it wasn't going to be received in the way that at least you hoped or dreamed it would be. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if I realized
1: that the site was only getting like 100, you know, page views in a month, then maybe it would make it a little bit easier to just quit on it and pull the plug. But no, it's, it's it does fairly well. And, you know, just kind of looking at, you know, downloads. It's very easy to get caught up in the numbers, but it's also, you know, going to races or going to events and having, you know, people come up and saying like, hey, you know, I really enjoy the the podcast or I, you know, laughed reading this article on your site. Um, you know, that's, that's what makes it worth it. And it actually did end up happening during my race in Tokyo. You know, I had two guys come up to me and, you know, they mentioned one of them said, Uh, It was like my wife and I listened to your podcast and I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, I appreciate that. And so, yeah, I think it was also the site also became a way for me to express myself, I think, a little bit more and give a little bit more character as to who I am within the running community, because um, before, I mean, if you think about it, I can write, you know, a feature story and and write news posts for on Sports Illustrated's website. But, you know, beyond just seeing a name at, at the top of the article, you really don't Get to know that person too too well. It's, it's just you know it's just a name as you know the author. And so what the site has also become is an avenue for me to kind of give people a little bit more insight into, like, hey, you know, I'm a runner as well. Like so, I kind of am going through the motions um, that these other high level runners are doing, but you know on a much slower scale. But um, so that's also kind of like and so in a, in a way, the the people who are writing for the site have also you know become part of this little uh, part of the running community as characters, I would say.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And it's obvious that that's the case. Just seeing how people, you know, um, interact with you online, you know, from a social media perspective and the kind of feedback that you get, it's, you know, it's oftentimes it seems like more about you than it is about, you know, the article that you produced, which is always interesting. And I think it's going to be, I know for me on the rare occasions where that's happened for me, it was almost like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) yeah, I thought the episode was cool because the ghost, because the guest was on it. Like I can't believe you're highlighting something that I personally said on it. And it was always kind of that odd, that odd sense, especially early on in the process. And for you guys, I love the, this, the lens that you look at running in, it reminds me, and I know I'm not the first person to say this. It reminds me of the lens that like the ringer takes towards athletics and pop culture in general. Of that he, idea of of the, just kind of that broad based look at it, but in kind of like a new kind of a new media type sense. And that's not the right phrase, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Oh, totally.
1: And I think that, you know that's such a re- that's a really high compliment because I kind of like you know with starting the site, I've totally taken pages out of Bill Simmons's playbook because I'm I was a huge fan of Grantland as a site, um, but I understand it's like we can't write five thousand word really detailed stories, you know, when we're doing this for free and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so the way The Ringer has come about and, you know, how much they've gone in on podcasts and how much they also can produce like this uh, commentary and at the same time be, you know, smart and funny. um, And, you know, how you sometimes know who the writers are, kind of like a Jason Concepcion or like a Mallory Rubin. These people are people who now – there's an audience that follows them for who they are as people like Shea Serrano does an excellent job of not only just being a really talented NBA writer, but people want to know what he has uh, to say about movies. And, you know, he's just an all around funny guy. And, you know, he, he can also fundraise a bunch of money for a good cause. And he's really embraced that power that comes with, the platform that he's been given. And so in a way, and as much smaller scale, I guess, yeah, sure. I mean, I I think that's, uh, I think the best model that we're, we're kind of shooting for. And so um, if we can continue to, to follow in that
0: path um, I'd be more than happy. Well, it's also just a sign of the times, right? Like you never, there wasn't this appetite 10, 15, 20 years ago for Dan Jenkins or Gary Smith or Will Knack to like, have their lives out there like their writing was enough and we got to know them through their writing but kind of tangentially and not really in in an in-depth way whereas now like you mentioned it's like writer or content producer in and of itself in and of themselves can be fascinating can be part of the story and oftentimes they're captured in different Different methods, like the writer can then be on this, on a podcast, like you are, and then you see the other side of them. But it seems like in that situation, like one plus one equals five, oftentimes.
1: Yeah, and it is kind of a sign of the times. Like I understand, you know, a lot of people do their reading on their phones when you know, they're on their way to work, you know, on the subway or something like that. And there isn't, you know, this time to really totally. I mean, I love you know long form journalism. But sometimes, you know, you have to understand there isn't the time for a lot of people to consume that. And so a lot of people are craving for some of this snackable, quicker content. And so that's kind of like what we've been shooting for. And that's, you know, the understanding of I'll, I've also like come to learn, you know, through my experience with Sports Illustrated. And so, you know, we're not at, at, at Sidious, I think we're not going to give you a 5,000 word story on, you know, Yomif Kajelcha breaking the world record in the mile. Um, you know, it'd be it'd be awesome, but you know we have to understand. I guess we we we're catering, I guess, to an audience that just kind of like has much shorter attention spans nowadays, and that's the that's the truth that comes with the industry. Um, but you know there will always be you know some great storytelling out there, and it's just you know you have to go to different places to find it as well. But I'm I'm still a huge fan of that kind of stuff, and that's some some of the stuff that I try to aim to do you know in my career with sports illustrated
0: so you are you know through Sidious Mag and all the work you're doing at SI kind of inextricably linked at this point to the running community especially the elite running community which is awesome I think it's like I'm sure when you start getting into this field like what a wonderful thing and yet you're also living your running career out in the open. As well. So do you ever have that pressure of hey man, like I'm writing about all these elites and doing all this crazy stuff and like, here I am the humble everyday runner like how do you juxtapose those things when you're talking to basically the same community in both avenues.
1: It's funny because I i mean I shouldn't check them too often, but I do find myself on the Let's Run message boards quite uh, quite a bit. And you know, one of the I think there was a, a thread at one point that was just like, "Who is the slowest person whose life revolves around running?" And there was a <laughs> poster by the name of Stater of the Obvious, and they got me good. They just they just dropped my name in there, and I was I saw it, and then. Uh, from there, you know, that really fed into some of my, my motivation in training, but you know, I guess there is there being sort of in the public eye within the running community, there is, I guess, a little bit of pressure that comes with like, maybe you should be a little bit faster if you're going to be writing about this. But, you know, I, I think I'm pretty straightforward and open about like, for me, this is just fun. I am not, you know, aiming to be an Olympic marathon trials qualifier or, uh, or trying to run crazy times to be at the same level. I'm just having fun, you know, doing with, with my own running. I, for me, I came to distance running very late in my life. Um, well, I guess like late in the fact that like, I, I didn't do it in high school and I think about it all the time. Like what if I was a distance runner in high school, as opposed to a short distance sprinter where I focused on the 200 meters and the occasionally the 400. Um, but You know, I, I never ran the 800 or mile in high school and I would, would love to have known what I could have run and how, how fast I'd be now if I had that background. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, there's this whole chapter that is a big, what if, and it takes it, 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 but I wouldn't trade it into the experiences that I'm having now being involved in the New York city running community, especially in the way that I am. So, um, yeah, I, I understand that, like, there there's, there could always be – it's different, though, because, like, with football writers, there's always the caveat. Like, if you cover the NFL and you criticized a player, which I guess, like, with running, there isn't too much criticism um, that, that happens. But with with the NFL or the NBA, you could be like, you know, that player is awful because they're doing this, this, and this wrong. And, you know, the NBA player could easily just bark back and say, it's like, well – it's like, you like, did you ever play the game or anything like that? So like for within running, it's different because now, I mean, they, there is no runner that can, you know, say to me, it's like, well, did you ever run? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess I, I, I do run. And I do understand. So it's like, there is that part of, of things where that's why I'm doing it. So I can try to get a better understanding.
0: Yeah. Well, I saw that post on let's run. <laughs> I was, I'm like, first of all, it was kind of funny. Second of all, you're faster than me dude so like for so, like i'm putting out a running podcast so you can always say maybe you're second slowest
1: <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that. i appreciate I, I like that you know that will
0: be my go-to answer <laughs> there you go you like you haven't met matt Chitam yet but you know <laughs> but when you do you'll be you know offering me an apology <laughs> so um and then you know with that said so you trained for london before so we, we can't wait to talk to you about tokyo but before you had london on the calendar and it didn't go your way and i just want to if you could just talk briefly about that just to set the stage for your tokyo ramp up
1: yeah so in London i ran um I ran three fifty nine forty six which is far from like my personal best my my personal best is three thirty seven going into uh this uh, this this spring was three thirty seven seventeen or eighteen or something like that um, and i was I was pretty sure I was in really good shape for London, where I could have run maybe something like three thirty-five or three thirty, uh, and at that point I was still training by myself. I was dealt with a really really hot day in London, and I kind of you know, wilted in that heat. I was on pace for a PR through the first seventeen or eighteen miles, but from there I think I really hit a rough patch and started cramping up. I actually like fell and collapsed, like with four at forty k. It was really bad and. I was on the ground and luckily there were these two guys from a London running crew that um, were pick me up because there were medics helping a woman like not too far behind me. And so once they were done with her, they were probably going to scoop me up. And I was just thinking like, man, I've got two K to go. That's not that far. If, if like they take me off the course, I'm going to be so mad because part of the the goal I had at the time was to run all six uh, world marathon majors. And I, was, was thinking about if they scoop me up now, that means I'm going to really have to pay for another flight to London, try and get into this race again and do this all over again, put in a whole cycle of training like that. That just sounds awful. So once these guys picked me up and I was able to get back going, I was able to shuffle my way to the finish line. And luckily I looked down at my watch and I was like, well, there's a, there's a chance you could still get under four hours. Um, which when I started running distance, I was like, this would be, That, that was kind of like the benchmark that I was going for. And, um, I managed to just squeak under four hours by sprinting as much as I could in that final stretch and actually cramping up again, like maybe five feet away from the finish line. And I was like, this is going to be the worst finish line photo I've ever seen. And uh, my friend was there after the finish line and actually got a photo of uh, me being helped out by the medics uh, right after crossing the finish line. But um, yeah, I mean, I was pretty disappointed in London because I would put in so much training and I felt like I had a PR in me. So pretty much I wanted to recycle that fitness in a sense and got right back into training soon after um, and decided to focus on the Brooklyn half marathon out here in New York city, it's no travel needed. And I had started training with a group, uh, the Brooklyn track club, uh, here in New York, in, in New York. And, um, I was like, all right, so my PR is one thirty What I've gotten me after, you know, training for the marathon for so long. So essentially that's what, that marathon became just, just a long run for uh, Brooklyn half training. And,
0: uh, <laughs> It's just, just write it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't run the, I didn't run London. I just had a long run that happened to be in London.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh, Brooklyn went really, really well. I ran one thirty-one uh, 44, which is still my personal best because I haven't run a half marathon, uh, since then. Um, and I was so totally shocked and I was like, Oh man, like I'm knocking on the door of like 90 minutes and, uh, this is going to bode really well for the summer and starting to get into some speed, uh, uh, some speed work because I, I wanted to break five minutes for the mile, and I still do. I, I so spoiler, I guess, is through, I went through the whole summer with a 525 went into the summer with a five twenty five personal best, got the got down to five twenty, um, and you know was really reaping the benefits of some speed work by now. You know, trying running anywhere from five twenty to five thirty five felt easy and comfortable. That that now running seven minutes, seven thirty pace was a breeze. And that got me very excited for the, my next marathon. And
0: yeah. And I want to talk to you about that. Cause I saw that on your post and I love how you call it the Leanne plan. However, Leanne mm-hmm. Sherrick and uh, who actually I'm supposed to have a podcast with um, in the next week or so. But um, just, it's funny to me. Cause when I think about the, you know, getting faster in the marathon, like. Again, I, I was a short sprint guy. I played hoops in college and I you know, did track in high school. And just like you, I was much more focused on the short stuff. And I never, ever, ever, ever before like last week reading all this stuff would have imagined the trickle down or trickle up effect of decreasing your mile pace to then basically set you up for faster levels at every other distance which was like such a novel concept to me i feel like an idiot after the fact but i never would have like looked at the two with this sort of red line connecting them
1: right it, it makes so much sense and it's like why don't people why doesn't everyone do this um but yeah so that's it's, that's precisely what was happening was my my teammate on the brooklyn track club leanne sherrick who is going to be a fantastic podcast guest for you she is amazing
0: and she was um, great on yours so you was born in new york city i think she was guest number two
1: right she was. Yeah. Um, and she's someone who I've come to know within the past like year and a half um, that I've spent with with the team and is definitely someone who has been very inspirational and, and helpful in my own training. So with her, um, she never ran high school track and she ran uh, she just really got into distance running later on in life as well and then decided to shoot for this lofty goal of chasing an Olympic trials qualifier. Um, just last year. So making incremental, you know, jumps in her marathoning, um, but decided to take the whole spring off uh, and just focus on, you know, the 5k and the mile and spent the whole summer training for just the mile. It wasn't until maybe about September that she really ramped up marathon training with the focus being CIM. And, you know, I'm seeing her run all these races and, you know, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at personal best. And then she pops, you know, a 242 uh, at CIM and, you know, qualifies for the marathon trials. And I was like, that was, you know, brilliant. And I was talking to my coach, Steve Finley, and I said to, to him, uh, you know, I think we've been working on all this speed this entire summer. We're on a very similar plan as to what we ended. So like, is this, where do we take things now for Tokyo? Um, because I did decided not to run a fall marathon. I ran two in the fall of 2017. I did Berlin and New York. Um, so I think those were eight weeks apart, but I did New York mainly because I got to run with my best friend from high school in his first marathon. And Berlin was like the focus for me to you know use that as an opportunity to run as fast as I can. Um, so, you know, after doing two fall marathons the previous year, I, I figured take the fall off this year and just kind of like focus on some shorter distances for for the fall as well and so um but watching leanne watching my friend and co-host of the runners of nyc podcast gene mac run 239 in chicago those were just like super thrilling performances for me to have like two really good friends of mine you know have these breakthrough performances um it was it was just awesome to, to see, and it got me really pumped for my own marathon, and I figured, you know, looking at the calendar, I'm going to be the first guy on our team to run a marathon in the year, so the pressure's on for me to set the tone for 2019, and, you know, just through all, all these awesome teammates I've had over the past year, um, it was really totally different marathon training than I had experienced. I was mo- much more regimented. I was sticking to a plan. You know, there was... I do my long runs every week and I wouldn't take, you know, the next day off or, you know, I was and I, I wasn't giving myself more days off than I used to. You know, when I was just training by myself, it's very easy to just be like, you know what, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to skip a workout. But, you know, having every Tuesday night meeting with the Brooklyn Track Club and then sometimes getting a smaller group together for a tempo run on a Thursday and then meeting for a long run on a Saturday or Sunday. I mean, it's just what I needed and I knew that I was going into this race more prepared than ever. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think this really became sort of a team effort of sorts to really explore just how fast I could, I could go. And yeah, I mean, and the other thing too was at uh, I really scaled back sort of how much writing I was doing in terms of the feature reporting for Sports Illustrated and, how much I was doing, I guess, writing on Sidious as well, Um, because 2018 was an off year for World Championships and uh, Olympics. So I figured I was like, this gives me a little bit more wiggle room to just uh, focus on myself and see what I can do. So taking it's it's again, going back to that very first point of there's only so many hours in the day. How are you going to balance things out? So. This this 2018 was a good experiment of like, OK, take some of that time that you would have used for writing about this to just, you know, get another workout in or something like that. So you can always make make time. And when I did, I I, I felt really great about how I was going into to Tokyo.
0: So not only did you change seriousness of your training with Steve, but it sounds like you changed just the way you train, because before you mentioned that you're kind of running by yourself and considering your, your jobs. I would imagine that being kind of a welcome relief because you have two very social jobs, right? You, like you mentioned, you described your SA SA SI job. You talked about CDS mag, you're recording these podcasts, you're, you're communicating all the time with your colleagues. What was it like for you to then transition to the Brooklyn Track Club model, where all of a sudden you're doing a lot of runs with other people? Did that have a positive and negative benefit in terms of just like your own mental health, or did you just welcome the idea of more people to better? I think it was totally
1: positive. I don't think I I I really can't think too too much about like if there were any negatives. Um, I think well, I guess the I guess I'll start with the negative and we'll go to the positive. The only negative I would say is just like. Uh, I think it put a little bit of pressure on myself just knowing that there were people on the team who I, I have been working out with. The, I mean, this, I think, goes with just any sort of team setting. It's like you work out with a bunch of people and you find yourself beating certain people in workouts and having much better workouts week after week with certain people. And then I just didn't have an opportunity to run a fall marathon or a half marathon to showcase that fitness that I was doing in practice. So I was just living with the PR that I had from Berlin in 2017 um, while a bunch of other people who were in the same training groups as me were going out and having these breakthrough performances. And so it kind of just got into my own head of, you know, like, well, it's like, on paper, I'm slower than this person, but it's like, I just need to continue to put in the work to prove to myself that I, to, that I am a little, that I am faster because I'm seeing it in practice. And so it's just kind of like, I think maybe that was the only down, down, uh, the, the, the only bad part of, of training in a group It's just, you find yourself comparing yourself to other runners within
0: like around you. Um, and, and marathon training. Right. It's like you do marathon training. It's like, even if you run a race, it's not as if you're going to be like going full force on rested legs for it. It's like the, the time is, is great as a, as a potential marathon indicator, but it's not like you can like look at that time and be like, see that that's what i'm capable of.
1: yeah and that's the thing it's the marathon there's so many variables that could go totally wrong and there's maybe certain reasons why this person's time was faster um on that day whether it's the course or the weather or it's a little slower than they expected it was the course or the or the weather um and so for me i just kind of was thinking it's like you just put in this big chunk of work and I'm going to be running on a fast course. And, you know, the weather has historically been good. Uh, So as long as I do the work, I will be able to show it off on March 3rd. Um, So that was kind of just my whole mindset. And at the same time, the biggest benefit I think was having people around me. So while there were just those little drawbacks, the, it was the the positives outweighed by a lot because you know there, there were these people were pushing me and encouraging me in every single one of these workouts you know I and they've become just really awesome friends uh, and I can't like I was thinking about it just kind of like in the new year. Uh, when it was like December 31st into January 1st, I was thinking about like, who have I met in the past year that has really made a positive influence in my life. And it was mainly just kind of like all my teammates on the Brooklyn track club. Um, because now, now those, I, those are the people I think I find myself hanging out with the most and, you know, chatting with all day, pretty much. Um, I'm on like four or five different group chats that just light up my phone the entire time while I'm at work. And so sometimes I have to find myself muting them, um, but
0: it's <laughs> you're just writing all day yeah. so like no matter what
1: form exactly in. right whether it's texting or actually like writing uh <laughs> writing on uh, for a website um but no it's it's so like yeah i mean i i think it, it was just awesome because a lot of those people also stepped up during the build up and not no one else was running the tokyo marathon i i was going into this whole thing alone And it was also kind of very a little sad because I was like, oh, you know, it's like when it's Chicago, it's like if you're not running, then you're probably out there cheering for your teammate. You make the trip out. Um, I went out to California to cheer on uh, Leanne in her uh, OTQ attempt. And I was like, well, you know, it's a huge ask for anyone to go out to Japan and very expensive. And uh, so I was like. I'm going to go into this. This is going to be a business trip for the first couple of days. And I'm just going to take care of business. And then after that, enjoy myself. And it's really going to be, it was awesome to just go into the race thinking it's like, I've got people at home that are really counting on me and rooting for me. Uh, so it's just like, you can't let them down. Um, so that's really what it has become. So, I mean, like I think within the past year and a half um, the Brooklyn track club has just been like one of the biggest positive influences in my life.
0: I believe it. And, you know, I've been following you guys from afar and it seems like such a tight knit community and you have the benefit of having just a high level of a lot of high level runners in there from an amateur perspective. And with it being an urban setting, it's like not only are you running together, but you have to be living close to each other or at least working in the area. So it's not like like I live in the suburbs. There are plenty of running clubs but like you might live in like one town and like another girl or guy might live in another town like you guys are like pretty close um
1: I, yeah so i mean like it, it, i guess it's the brooklyn track club by 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 name but for i live in queens and i work in manhattan but i – you know i oh, okay. i go and i'll meet up for workouts when they're in brooklyn or manhattan i guess for some time we we have been working out in manhattan because just kind of like access to tracks like it's been hard because so, both the big New York City tracks. There's one at the East River Park, and then there's one at McCarran Park in Brooklyn. Um, we're both being renovated and like uh, resurfaced like at the same exact time. So we were pro- we were the Brooklyn trackless club for quite a bit of time, um, and we were just running on roads. We were running over bridges. That's the beauty I think of running in New York City is you can get very creative with where you go, and no two runs have to be the same. Um, so. While it can be hard sometimes, like, and maybe not ideal every single time, you know, there's a lot of um, places to go. And so, yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it kind of does remind me a little bit about high, uh, of high school and just getting back to having a team setting. Because I went to a private boys high school in uh, Manhattan, and so we attracted, you know, students uh, from you know, the Bronx from Brooklyn, from Queens within Manhattan. And some even made the trip out from Staten Island just to go to this high school. And so now I'm seeing the same exact thing where it's like this, this group uh, and this team, is attracting people from all over New York city um, because not only is, does it have those high level runners as well? Like some, we have, you know, Daniel Wynn competing at the U S championships in the, in the mile. And, you know, he's run sub four in our singlet. Um, And we've got Leanne qualified for the Olympic trials. We also have people who, you know, are just trying to break two hours for a half marathon. And so um, I, I see a beauty within the group because it's a lot of what, I like to see within the running community. It's that front end of the pack interacting with the back end as well. And, you know, kind of tying it all together, you know, that's what we're also hoping to accomplish with Sidious is, um, you know, you, you can get your information about what's happening in the, uh, you know, at, at the Olympic and the professional level, but at the same time, there's some very cool stories that have to be shared, uh, from the people who are just finding the sport or just, you know, getting started, um, so I see a lot of that in the people that I surround myself with and I'm very, I'm so excited. I think, you know, there's times where I think it's, you know, I really want to record another episode of the runners of NYC podcast because this person has been so cool and so awesome to be, to be around. Um, and at the same time, I'm like, you know what, I want to learn more about, uh, this you know professional runner and what went into this championship winning performance and stuff like that. So it's like uh, I'm just all over the place with with running and i my, my eyes are wide open right now and I'm just trying to take so much of it in. Uh, it's been yeah, I think it's it's great and I and I enjoy my exposure to it within just like the Brooklyn Track Club.
0: Yeah, man, it's loud and clear. It really is. Obviously. Been a transformational experience from your running perspective, and just how you you know interacted with the running community. Um, because, like you said, you have a whole podcast now dedicated to this idea. <laughs> and even if I didn't know this um, from you, it's just so obvious that these track clubs, you know, yours as well, but there's so many in the New York City area that have a profound effect on a lot of people. And it really is simply missing. Uh, there's no question about that. I had someone on the podcast earlier in September from Harlem run, mm-hmm. you know, and she, she talked about Harlem run in the same exact terms that you're talking about Brooklyn. Travel. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it's nearly identical. New
1: York's this huge melting pot. Uh, uh, I mean, that's kind of like always been it's, it's nickname, just this mel- melting pot of culture. And um, I think like it just, applies even more so with running. I mean, it's a city of 8 million people and, you know, a, a good chunk of that is our runners and so there's so many awesome stories to tell that like I'm happy I'm not going to be at a loss for any sort of content. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's for sure. All right, so you mentioned you went to Japan. This was a business trip. First 3 days you want to just like all, right, all business, let's, let's make make the most of Tokyo. So when you were going into the race, what was the uh, what was the plan that Coach Steve gave you?
1: Yeah, so pretty much it was like, don't be dumb because for me, I love just taking the, the
0: power of negative things. I
1: know it's just like I, I <laughs> am someone who would love to take it hard right from the gun and just kind of like. see see, you know there's I was I think it might have been Des Linden or something like that was in an interview and she said like if you're trying to bank time within a marathon and hope and like anticipating the crash at the end like then you're kind of doing it wrong there shouldn't be a crash Um, and so uh, coach Finley wanted me to really take this very evenly through the first half and be conservative so um the plan was run anywhere from 137 to 139 for the first half which i i kind of was like thinking about it i was like man like those times are not just a couple minutes you know slower than what i was running for pr a year ago so it just kind of goes to show um some of the progress that i've made but you know but they sound really comfortable and so you know as the first 2 miles of the tokyo course are pretty downhill so i was just pumping the brakes right from the start and i ran into a runner from toronto uh who like you know said like hey i read your stuff on sports illustrated and kind of like we were chatting for a bit and he was also shooting for 320 uh but went about things and it
0: t- talk about how surreal that is that you're literally running in like, the other side of the world. You're minding your own business and someone's coming up and like commenting on your, on your, work. I didn't
1: expect it whatsoever. And I'm surprised like anyone was able to pick up on, on who I was. Um, so, I mean, like that was the first instance and super nice guy um, eventually actually did reach out to me uh, it, via Instagram and shot me a message. He's like, Hey, it was great to share a couple miles together. And once like the marathon photos came out, um, I was able to also look him up and see, uh, just from like one or two photos that we, that he met, we managed to get together on the course. Cause you know, we ran together for the first mile or so. And from there, he, I think was going to take it out a little harder than I was for the first half. And I was just sticking to my plan, um, as much as, as easy as it would have felt to go a little quicker, I was, I was just kind of like always cognizant of like, just don't do anything dumb right now. And so, um, just stayed within my own head and, you know, then a couple of miles later at around mile eight, uh, named uh, Gabe. He was from Florida and he came up to me from behind and was just like, looks like the legs are feeling good. And I was like, oh gosh, did not expect to hear that on the course. And, uh, he, you know, we chatted it up for a bit. He, I think he had a stress fracture going into the race. So he was just kind of seeing how this is all going to play out. Again, was you know, going a little faster than I had hoped, even though we were running together. So, you know, I let him go and eventually did catch the two guys like later on in the race. But I was, you know, just just cognizant of the fact, like just stay in your rhythm, click off these 730s, even though. And and so I I had no idea just how evenly I was running uh, because later on, I think, after the race, someone did end up, you know, texting me. It was like, what got into you? Cause it was just 23 minute, 5k, 23 minute, 5k, 23 minute, 5k. And it was just, I was in a rhythm. It was like 2330, just all the way around. Um, until I got to like the final 5k. And that was my fastest one yet. I did find that extra gear and I was just, and then kicked my way in surprisingly it had never happened to me during a marathon, but my it kind of like, I was feeding off the energy of the course, you know, the people who are around me, this is, I guess, like just goes to show you just how new I've been to the whole entire thing. This was the first marathon I'd run without headphones or listening to any sort of music. I was really taking everything in, um, and really approaching this seriously. Um, and this is me just, you know, running. And, uh, it's funny because like, I don't know, um, I don't know Tokyo that well. Like if I run the New York city marathon, I can get hop off the course and I know where I am at any point. I don't know Tokyo. So I'm just working off of like, it's really nice out. Well, actually it was raining. That was another thing, but going into the race, uh, every one of my PRs had been run in the rain. So I took it as a good sign. Um, But I didn't know anything. I don't know the streets in Tokyo. If I get hurt or have to pull off, like I have no idea where I am and I have no idea of communicating that to, to too many people. So, Pretty much I was just working off and just staring off at kilometer markers, doing some mental math because I don't know kilometers as well as I know miles, trusting my watch. Um, And so, you know, my mind was pretty occupied uh, occupied the entire time. Um, And the the other cool part about the Tokyo course is that um, there's a lot of out and backs. So you're able to see people going. The other way, uh, the faster runners, so I you know had an eye on uh, people who are running you know 210, 2, 215, 218. And in Japan especially, those people are really, really getting after it, and their distance running culture is so rich that they have a lot of people who can run those times. So just watching these pack of runners, and just really suffering but it was a beautiful suffering. Um, and I was just fascinated. I got my mind off of things and the miles just kept going by so much quicker. Every time I passed one of these, um, I guess, checkpoints where it would catch my split, uh, the timing mats. Uh, I would always think of the people who were tracking me back at home. And I was like, I hope you guys like this one. It was every 5k. I was like, I, I hope you guys, <laughs> I, I hope this one satisfies you. And, Surprise. I like, so, are you
0: not entertained? Ex-
1: exactly, because <laughs> what my, fr- my teammates did is they ended up having um, a viewing party in lower Manhattan where uh, they were able to go to a friend's place where they had like a projector up and they were having sushi and... Drinking Sapporo, so it was just kind of like taking in. The, they were watching the the pro race, and at the same time, passing around a phone uh, every single time. Or calling out whatever I split. Um, no idea if they played a drinking game to like my splits, whether it was like going to be higher or lower than whatever people were shouting. But uh, they they could have found a way to make it fun. Um, but no, yeah, it was. I was thinking about the people at home. My my co-host, Jean, who I've mentioned before, um, she actually got engaged uh, the morning of my race. And I woke up, I'd been up at like four o'clock in the morning, just mentally, you, you barely sleep before a big race like that. And she had told me like, hey, Paul and I are engaged. I was just so happy. Um, and that's just like an extra gen- adrenaline boost that I had going into the race. I was so excited. And so then at one point during the race, I'm thinking like, Oh, like, I'm going to have a beautiful wedding to go to next year. Uh, And it's just like just thinking about so many people who have, you know, helped me get to that point and just feeling comfortable. I, you know, the race felt easy and I just, you know, I think I, I got to the point at 18 miles where I just said to myself and I was talking to myself at that point, just put, you know, your foot on the gas a little bit and just keep pressing I was living in this fear, I think for the last 10 K of cramping up because I just, it happens. Um, I think in Berlin, it happened at 23 miles Uh, in New York. It happened at like 21 miles in the past. So it's like, I'd never been able to get through a marathon without really cramping up in like one of my quads or something. So I was, or, or calves. And I was really anticipating when that was going to happen, but it just never did. And I just, you know, found it within myself and uh, to, to keep pushing, keep pushing a little bit more, a little bit more and asking that of myself. And I had it within me. Uh, also, I think with the last 5K, maybe I look like a maniac to people. I was just smiling the entire time, just looking at my watch, knowing that a big PR was coming. And also, I think I was thinking of the world record holder, Elliot Kipchoge has said that smile helps, you know, relieve that pain. Uh, that comes later on in the races. So I was thinking about that. I was just was
0: so hard for the last 5K. but um, And there's been so many scientific studies that have proven that fact. Exactly. That smiling has a beneficial physical effect, even if it's purely manufactured. Yeah. So I, I
1: was ex- exactly, I was like, the science has, has proven it time after time. This will be good. Um, and it was working, everything was working. And I just never cramped up. And within, you know, two miles to go, I was like, I've run two-mile repeats in, uh, in the fall. And I'm like, this is we're we're getting into some really fast stuff, and I can do this. So um, that all was – everything was coming back to me, all the training that I would put in. And I was so happy to, you know – well, the last thing I think was, was like, I knew I was going to get under 320. So I was super thrilled about that mission. It was accomplished with like about a mile to go. As long as I didn't fall or really cramp up, it was going to happen. And then like one of my best friends, Ryan Welsh has run, uh, I think he ran 31706 at the New York city marathon last fall. And he's like one of my closest training partners, um, and going into the race, like, he was, like, you know, kind of, like, I'd be really happy if you smash my personal best. But I knew it would take, like, an A-plus day for me to do that. And I actually didn't know. I knew his PR was, like, 317-something. I didn't know it was, like, 317-really low with three seventeen oh six. Um, so I was just, like, really pushing at the end to be, like, I think I could get Ryan. I think I could get Ryan. And I got Ryan, um, and I finished in three sixteen twenty four. 24 um, A-plus day. I was – and, you know, after that, it was just – yeah, I was, uh, I was so happy because I, w- what I went out there to do was just smashed and I got my medal. I got my six-star medal. This whole journey that kind of really started with distance running in 2012 was finally not over because I think like now I'm just hungry to keep running faster.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is such a good story. What a culmination to the six stars to be able to do something like that and, 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 and sending a PR... Is, you know, sending a PR anywhere is huge. But doing it in a marathon is such a different feeling because of the emotional and mental and physical time that you spend building up to that.
1: Yeah, you can't just run a marathon every weekend like your Mike Wardian or like someone else. Those opportunities aren't there every week. Um, so you're really prepping and, and, and taking six months out of your year, four months out of your year for this one day. And sometimes you could be dealt some bad weather you, uh, um, or it just doesn't work out on the given day. So I was really, I guess, thrilled that everything came together on that one day for me for the first time. I think uh, like, I, 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 don't think I've ever had a race like that. And I don't think I'll ever, r- you know, run a 21 minute personal best ever again. Uh, so
0: never say that... never, Chris, Chris, Chris. <laughs> you're four marathons from breaking two. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I got you've been so generous with your time and I really appreciate it. So I got two more questions for you, if you don't mind. No, Those I don't mind your, at all. Because your experience in the world marathon majors, Boston's coming up a month from now. A lot of people who are listening to this are gonna be running in Boston and most of them will be trying to run as fast as they possibly can. So what is your advice to people who are entering these major races? And not only getting caught up in the emotion of that, but also trying to run the fastest they've ever run.
1: Yeah, so first off, it won't be worse than last year, I think. Like, the weather can't be as bad as it was in 2018. So I think you can uh, breathe a sigh of relief, for starters, that it I it can't get worse than that. Uh, last year was just an absolute monsoon. Um, so I think it it comes down to... Very similarly to the way I approach this race, there's a lot of patience that comes in uh, with Boston, especially. I think when I was preparing for Boston in 2016, uh, one of the people I called was Shalane Flanagan because, I mean, she'd run it a bunch of times. And I pretty much selfishly flipped this into writing a uh, course uh, guide uh, that, for Sports Illustrator And it's still up if people want to check it out. Um, I think you just like search Boston Marathon course Uh, course guide, Sports Illustrated, Um, it'll come up on Google. Uh, But Shalane Flanagan pretty much broke down how to approach the marathon course. And a lot of it was patience within the first, you know, 15 miles, because a lot of that is a downhill portion. And so, especially with the atmosphere, you can really get ahead of yourself and want to run very, very fast out of the gates. But what you have to remember is that at mile 15 or 16 is where the hills really start. And you want to be strong uh, in those hills, especially when Heartbreak Hill comes up around uh, 20 or 21. Uh, my mind is kind of like drifting as to where exactly it is. Um, but, yeah,
0: so it seems closer to 18, but I know exactly what you're saying.
1: Yeah, so I mean, w- when uh, Heartbreak comes up, uh, that's the one that a lot of people really can sometimes freak out. And what I did was pretty much just focus on uh, I put, I think I put my head down and was just like I didn't look didn't look up because it is quite a bit of an incline. Uh, I just looked I think straight ahead and or, or at my feet for a bit um, or even look to your left because if you run closer to the left up those hills, there are people right there. Uh, that are cheering you and getting right up in your face. Some of these people have been drinking since 9 a.m. Um, and they are very, very excited for you. Um, especially then, I think once you conquer those hills, you've got the Boston College kids who have who are super rowdy um, on on race day. Um, so I think it's just feed off their excitement to get yourself up those hills. And then from there, I mean, it's not it's very easy to break it down mentally. It's like you've got you know 5k to go. Just get through it. And when you see the sit sign, that's when you know you're almost really there. Um, and, yeah, it really embraced, you know, Boylston Street. I think when I ran it was uh, two years after Meb's win. So I remembered watching the race beforehand, I think on loop, maybe all week. I would try and find, like, a chance to watch Meb's race. And, you know, he was really fist-pumping uh, down Boylston Street and taking it all in. I'd let out a couple of fist pumps myself. Um, so now I think people who are running this year have the luxury of being able to catch Deslinden highlights and Meb Kaflesky highlights. So watch those. And I'm sure you're like, you'll be able you'll, you'll be so jacked up for
0: race day. And you had it right. That You're right. Heartbreak Hill was in mile 20. I was thinking about when the hills start. Um, mm-hmm. No, but you're right. I, I love watching those highlight tapes. To get ready, yeah, ready for a race? So you get that, and then you get like the Chris Chavez mantra of don't do anything <laughs> dumb, and you'll be good to go. You'll be good to go. All right, last one. Uh I saw this was just announced right before we started recording. Joan Benoit Samuelson coming back to Boston, 40th anniversary. So she's hoping to get a 315 for this race. So yeah. that would be one one, that'll be one minute faster than yours, Chris. Who Who's going to take it? Who's going to take the spring title? Is it going to be Joan in Boston or you in Tokyo?
1: I mean, it's really hard to compare the two because I think I had the benefit of being on a flat course. And um, I got some, I I would say good weather, even though it was raining. Some people were miserable. I was feeding off of it. I was like, I feel totally refreshed. Um, But so what happened actually was last June, I ran a race out in Long Island. Uh, it was a Shelter Island 10K. And I thought I had it in me to hang with Joni for um, the first, I, I, for the whole race and maybe try and kick her down. But I think I only made it like two and a half miles behind her. And then she dropped me and she was picking it up as she went along. So, I mean, if she was clicking off those 6.30s with ease um and then getting a little quicker from there for a 10k uh then i think she should have no problem beating me so i'm gonna predict like she'll probably run like 314 mid i think so she's gonna take this title and i have no problem with it she's got an olympic gold medal i think she could she she can kick my butt any day of the week
0: (laughs) there you go well thank you so much this has been fantastic we almost had a chance to race against each other this past year because I was almost in the, um, I just contacted them too late, but next year um, it should work out, is the, uh, the media mile for the Fifth Avenue mile.
1: Oh, bring it. That is one of the most exciting races of the year. I look forward to it every year. So, actually, I've been on a downward trajectory there. It's getting so popular now where um, I think uh, three years ago I was – uh third then two years ago i was sixth and then last year i was 10th so or i think i'm a yeah I was 10th so i think i'm falling behind because like there's just faster writers getting a hold of like how cool of a race it is at fifth ave that they have this section just just for uh you know writers and podcasters and and tv people um but i think this year i will do better than 10th place and I'm going to probably if there's
0: 11, if there's 10 and I'm in, <laughs> then you're definitely going to bump up a place.
1: <laughs> oh, there were like 60 people last year. So, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll continually take top 10 out of a field of 60 for sure. But um, no, I think I'm going to probably at that point, I'll be very deep into Berlin marathon training. Uh, but I will try and find the time to have a little bit of speed to hopefully you know maybe find a mile pr or at least go faster uh than my personal best there i think is like 524 or something like that so um definitely go faster than that and maybe hopefully that gets me up a little bit higher uh in the placings this this september
0: there you go chris thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it no thank you for having me i really had a great time Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. That was so much fun. Chris, like I said in the intro, is someone who I couldn't wait to have on this show because I'm a big fan, and I think you could see why during the course of this episode. It was just just an absolute blast to talk to him, and it's just so much fun to follow Sidious Mag. I think there are... Basically, on the cutting edge of a running website because they're really able to bring in the seriousness of the metrics and the things that are going on in the running world. Like nowadays, you talk about the IAAF changes to what should be a marathon. I'm sorry, a marathon. It should be an Olympic qualifying standard and and affects a lot of people, especially in the running community here in regards to the uh, marathon and Olympic trials and all of that stuff. And just learning more about that is huge, but also digesting a lot of their fun irreverent material is also a really enjoyable time so chris thank you so much for coming on the show big shout out to our presenting sponsor mercury mile go to mercurymile.com to get the best spring running gear it's so easy and they send it right to your house and you just send back the stuff that you don't like and you keep what you love thank you so much i really appreciate it and happy running